Welcome to, uh, I, I guess we call it uh, winter quarter Sunday school. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, three different Sunday schools it's here. We're going to uh, look at big themes of scripture. Melvin is teaching foundations class and then uh, inquires class, which is uh, to get information about Christ Pres or uh, you're looking to join is also upstairs. Um, this is going to be a little bit uh, team teach. Uh, Greg Davidson is teaching uh, next week. Um, and then uh, there's another Sunday I'm gone where somebody's going to fill in. But um, I'm excited about this. This is something uh, we usually do a, uh, a book of the Bible. Uh, but I wanted to do something that shows how uh, all 66 books written in, what is it, by like 40, approximately 40 authors over 1,500 years um, actually tell a unified story. Uh, it's, one of the, it's one of the great apologetics for the Bible. Um, and one of the ways you can see the one story is you can pick these themes and realize that from Genesis to Revelation, it runs all the way through a consistent theme uh, of 40 authors <laughs> over 1,500 years uh, in 66 books. Um, and seeing that, seeing these themes actually will help you in your own reading of the Bible in your own in your own listening to it because uh, uh, those themes uh, kind of bring you to Jesus and uh, kind of uncover your heart. So um, let me uh, let me pray for us. And we'll, we're going to do kind of an intro and we're going to pick one little theme. But Father, uh, yeah, thanks for a time that we can uh, ask questions and talk and get to know each other. Uh, but look at your word. Um, nothing happens unless your spirit shows up. So I pray your spirit would open our eyes so that we can uh, see. Uh, the beauty of the Bible, but we don't worship the Bible, we worship Jesus. So help us see the beauty of Jesus. In your son's name I pray. Amen. All right. Um, here is uh, kind of the, I guess, a sentence. This actually describes a discipline called biblical theology. Uh, you don't have to know that, but um, this is what we're kind of going for is that the, the Bible is a theologically unified, historically rooted, progressively unfolding and ultimately Christ-centered narrative of God's covenant work in our work, world to redeem sinful humanity and his creation. Um, our intro is going to build off that about what this Sunday school is going to be like, but that I'm going to walk through that little definition. So first, it's theologically unified, uh, historically rooted. Okay. Like I said, 35 plus authors written over centuries upon centuries. There's, the, there's an overarching single author, though, who is God. All these men, uh, Peter tells us, were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So as David wrote or Moses wrote, what they were writing is God's word, his very word, his inerrant, infallible word. Um, but it is because it is God's word and he's the author. It is telling one story. Um, <clears throat> There's a ton of places you could go to kind of show this truth. Uh, but one of them, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of a chiasm. Um, uh, Greg has, Greg, Greg did a podcast about this kind of stuff. Um, but a chiasm is a literary structure um, in the Hebrew language that forms a bracket, right? They didn't use periods. They didn't use commas. They didn't use question marks in Hebrew. Uh, they used literary devices to tell you when a, when a, a thought ended. And it, so it would be like, a, B, C, right? And then the same thing, C, B, A would come back. And when that was over, it's telling you thought finished, okay? That's a chiasm. And so if you were, if you were first center or you were reading, or really, you probably weren't reading, you probably can read, listening to Hebrew, like you were hearing those things. You would know when the literary structure, instead of a period, the chiasm would happen, okay? So 
The Bible is one story, and it actually tells you this, okay? Like, in Genesis 1 and 2, you have the creation of heaven and earth, okay? And then, in Genesis 2, you have the first marriage, covenant of Adam and Eve, right? A, B, and then C, you have uh, the... uh, uh, you have uh, the serpent, Satan, comes in, tempts Adam and Eve, the whole world breaks, and then God makes a promise that he's going to crush the head of the serpent. He will crush uh, the one, uh, the, the tempter, all right? So that's your ABC, all right? That's how the Bible starts. Well, here's what's really interesting, right? If it's one story written over 1,500 years uh, with 35 authors, the last book of the Bible is Revelation, all right? So if you want to say that this one story is done, all right, in Hebrew, you're going to form a chiasm. So guess what happens when you get to Revelation? What you have in Revelation 19 is you see the destruction of the serpent and Satan accomplished. You see him thrown into the, into the pit of fire, all right? And then you have the marriage covenant. You see the lamb, you see the bride, the church coming to the lamb to be married to Jesus forever in the new heavens and new earth. And then how does the Bible end? With creation of the new heavens, new earth, Revelation 21, 22. Like the, the Bible itself is telling you story over. Uh, one story, Genesis to Revelation, this is how it begins. This is how it ends. The Bible is a giant chiasm uh, that's telling you it's a unified story. Um, Even that is like amazing. You're like, oh gosh, (laughs) maybe this is God's word. Again, that doesn't make it God's word. That's not the only evidence, but you can even see from beginning to end, the giant story begins and then wraps up in Revelation with a giant chiasm. Pretty cool. You can like show that at work tomorrow and everybody will think that uh, you're, you know, you're, you're very smart. Um, so it's one story with tons of diversity in it, tons of diversity, different genres. There's wisdom literature, there's narrative, uh, you know, there's poetry, um, but it's unified telling one story with, with common themes, um, which means it's rooted in history. Okay. Yes, the scriptures are are written by people carried along by the Holy Spirit in the context of real places, in real periods of time. There really was a man named Moses. There really was an exodus where Israelites came out uh, from from being enslaved to Egypt. There really was a king named David. Psalms and Proverbs, if you read them, like Psalms are written in the context of real situations. Like David really is running from David and he, I mean, from, uh, from King Saul and he's writing a prayer in that situation. Um, and so the re- there really was a Jesus that you could s- see and touch that walked to earth. Like it's rooted in history, but also rooted in history means that their writing, their writing was in their context. And so understanding their context means using your imagination to get back to, to things that they understood that they wrote about. And that actually some of the themes they're going to come back. So the, the way that an that the ancient world, when they wrote the Bible, understood the world was that the sky was a dome, okay? And there was water above it, and the land floated on pillars of ocean. That's how ancients understood the world, okay? Now look, 
We know scientifically that that's not how it is, but that's not what the, the Bible is in their world written in their context. You can see this in Psalm 75, three, that that's how they viewed the world. And so that's what I mean, it's rooted in history, written in a real context. Um, and, uh, sorry, sorry. Um, and it's progressively unfolding, okay? Think about how a light, uh, a light in a picture works, okay? So what are we here, we got this photograph. You can hardly tell anything's there because there's not much light. But the contents are all there, right? Maybe you can make out, it seems to be some hair over there, right? Um, so you could say that is like Genesis and Exodus. All the contents of the story of the Bible are in Genesis and Exodus. It's just the lights are hardly on, okay? But as you walk through the Bible, it progressively unfolds, and you're like, wait a second. That appears to be people. That appears to be Travis Kelsey, maybe. <laughs> I'm not sure. And as the light comes on, it kind of reveals it a little more, right? So now you're like midway through the Old Testament, still the same content. You're seeing things a little more clearly. You're getting a better apprehension of it. And then when you get to the New Testament, right, it's, it's oh, that's who it was. It was is Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. who uh, they, It was there all along. The light didn't produce anything. It didn't make anything new. It just revealed what was there. That's what we mean when we say that scripture is progressively unfolding. Like, King David really did know more than Moses, okay? Uh, Amos the prophet knew more uh, than, than David did. And the writers of the New Testament, after walking with Jesus, they, they saw things in the full light. But it is not new information they're giving you. It's just the lights have come on fully. So it's progressively unfolding. And to honor scripture, that's how you walk with it uh, through Genesis all the way through Revelation. Um, uh, and lastly, it's ultimately, it's Christ-centered. Um, <clears throat> we say this a lot at Christ Perez, uh, because, of, because of our sin, we're just all self-absorbed. <laughs> and so we think the Bible is primarily about us. Uh, I, mean, I laugh with lies about this. Like, um, you know, she'll wear a dress. Uh, she'll put on a dress to wear to like a wedding. She's like, oh man, I, I wore this two weeks ago. I can't wear this this time. And maybe I, I'm going to admit more people are observant than I am. Okay. But my response is like, I don't think people know the dress that you wore three weeks ago. Maybe they do. The only people that are aware of that are usually you. You know why? Because everybody else is just, just knows what they wear. Everybody else is absorbed what they wear. They don't notice what everybody else is wearing. It's true of all of us. And we all kind of think that the Bible is about us. And it, of course it applies to us. But the Bible is actually first and foremost about Jesus. He's the revelation of God. And so Luke 24, um, oh, I thought I put that up there. Sorry, I must not have. Luke 24, Jesus walks with these disciples after he's resurrected uh, on this road to Emmaus, and he does a Bible study with him, with them. And it says he walks through Moses, the prophets, and the writings, and shows them everything concerning himself. So he walks them back through and shows how the whole Old Testament is about him. Um, which is pretty amazing. Think about, I mean, this is a little aside. Jesus resurrected, right? So still is fully God, fully man. So as fully God, fully man, his, 
his body can only be in one place at one time, right? Because he's fully human. So Jesus, so Jesus can go anywhere that he wants after he's resurrected. And where does he go? Like, he doesn't go to Caesar. <laughs> he, he goes and finds these two people walking on a road that are confused, and he has a Bible study with them until they get it. That's, I don't think that's how I would have spent my time. That's what Jesus does. That's how precious this is to him, for you to understand that the scriptures are about him. Um, and so scripture has a theological center in its Jesus. Leviticus, Jeremiah, Job, all, of the, all of the scripture is the person and work of Jesus. So biblical theology attempts to embrace the message of the Bible and to arrive at an intelligible coherence of the whole despite the diversity of parts, or put another way, Biblical theology investigates the themes, that's what we're going to do, presented in scripture and defines their interrelationships. That's what we're going to do all semester, is pick a different thing and walk through and show how it's all throughout the Bible, and then hopefully how that relates to you and shows us Jesus. Um, so we want to see how it all fits together. Um, uh, and again, that theme will be there probably in Genesis, but as you walk through the Bible, you'll more and more see it more clearly until you get to Jesus and you'll see the full revelation uh, and where we are. So <clears throat> uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to pick some different things. So all I want to do in, you know, 10 minutes uh, is pick one thing because we just have a short amount of time and, uh, and kind of do it with you and give a little taste of what we're going to do. All right. So the C, all right. Actually, you might not have thought of this, is a bigger theme than you think in the Bible. Um, and the sea, again, if you put on an ancient Near Eastern uh, Jewish person's mind, the sea was a place of chaos. It was, it, was a, it was a place to be scared of. It was, uh, there was fear. It could take your life. It, it was the place of unknown, okay? Uh, so... If you'll, if you'll remember that, that the sea is a place of chaos, it represents chaos. <laughs> it represents sometimes trying to pull things back into kind of decreation, pull things back into nothingness. Um, it'll help you start kind of understanding some of the stuff that's going on in the Bible, okay? So even so much, and we'll do this later on, but there's some passage in the Bible that there is a, you ready? There's a dragon that lives in this sea that can also become a serpent on land uh, and wants to pull creation and God's goodness back into nothingness. It wants to unravel everything, right? And we'll follow that dragon one theme, but there's a reason that he comes out of the sea so often in the Bible, because that is, that's the place that represents chaos, the, the place that represents disorder. So <clears throat> can you think of any places in scripture where the sea, the waters, uh, kind of become a place of chaos, come, become a place of kind of unraveling things. Somebody said something, what? Jonah, Jonah? yes. He gets cast into the sea. Uh, he assumes he's gonna die. <laughs> place of chaos is scary. Now he actually gets preserved uh, by, this, by this big fish. Uh, but yes, uh, Jonah, that's a great one. What else? Yes, Exodus, right? Think about what happens. They come up to the Red Sea, this place of chaos, this place of nothingness, this place of unknown. And how does God deliver them? God delivers them by parting the sea so they can walk in safety through the chaos. 
But then what happens? The chaos and the, not, the decreation, the unraveling happens to the Egyptians as it collapses on them. It's great, Karen. Good. Anything else? Yes, he turned in blood. That's really interesting because the sea, uh, yes, it's a place of chaos. It also was a place of, uh, of, of water. It actually was a god that they worshiped uh, uh, and it becomes undrinkable. Good. See. Jesus says the disciples were in the Yep. Uh, they're out on uh, uh, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and a storm whips up, and uh, here comes the chaos, here comes things to be feared, here comes the unknown, and Jesus is asleep in, on a cushion, and they wake him up and say, are you just gonna leave us out here to die? Uh, and then Jesus shows something incredible about himself that he is actually, he is one who can calm the chaos. He is the Lord of the storm. Um, yeah, good. Look at this, Hello. A plus, anything else? And Jesus walks on it. I think somebody said that. Uh, and walks to them, uh, which, again, just would have been so unnerving to see. Uh, it'd, been a, it'd be amazing to see right now, but imagine if you grew up, right, with the sea as this place of chaos, and here comes someone walking calmly on top of, of, of this place of chaos and unknown and that wreaks so much havoc. Good. Noah's Ark. There we go. And see, this is the other thing that goes with the, with the sea being a place of kind of disorder and chaos and unraveling is what you find is that the Lord of this universe, because he's the one in control, in all these places of chaos and disorder, he keeps bringing about new life. He keeps bringing new beginnings, not, uh, not, not apart from the chaos, but actually through it, that he's that in control. Uh, and you see it in the flood, you see it in the Red Sea, that, that this God actually works through the chaos. So y'all are nailing it. So I'm going to walk through just a little bit of this. Um, it actually starts in Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Listen, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So you get this picture again of... <clears throat> of this kind of unknown, uh, of this disorder. Now, that, that, that's not saying sin, okay? God, God doesn't create sin, but it is giving you this picture of this void, this darkness, this deep. And what God does, the spirit flutters over it and brings about life and brings about order and makes land come, out of, come up out of the sea and brings vegetation. And so you see these water, this picture of this kind of darkness, of this void, of this, of this deep, this disorder and the spirit of God hovering and bringing beauty and order and creation. And so you see the word, the idea is there of what God is gonna do throughout this whole story of the world. He's gonna be one who brings order and beauty and life out of places of chaos and darkness and death. You see it in the very beginning. And so God creates heavens and earth, water of the face of the earth, all creation comes out of these waters. And then of course, um, Adam and Eve sin. They give in to this, uh, this, this serpent uh, who's trying to bring them back into disorder, trying to bring them back into death. And what begins to happen after sin enters the world is now like wilderness and darkness and sea all become a picture of chaos. And you could even say sometimes of evil, everything that's wrong, right? 
The sea and darkness are, are now metaphors of things that are trying to unravel God's good creation, trying to unravel God's image, try, trying, to, trying to bring things back into decreation. Um, and what happens is, right, wickedness gets so bad, people are doing what is, what is evil in their own sight, that sin twists and ruins God's good world, that what happens, God allows the sea the place of chaos to come back and cover the earth, right? The waters increase greatly, except for the ark that floats on the face of the waters. Uh, only Noah is left and those who are with him and the ark prevailed on the earth for 150 days. But what happens is the sea, the disorder, everything covers it again because, because the sea is becoming a place of judgment. It's, because there's one, one way you can describe judgment is away from everything good. Back, it's back into decreation, back into disorder. Because facing away from God, rejecting God is always rejecting goodness, life, and order itself. And so the sea is bringing that judgment back. But what does God do from that place? He preserves and he brings about life through Noah. This is what God always does. And then you see it again in Exodus 14. Uh, Karen named this, right? They come up to the sea, they come up to this place of chaos, and God tells Moses, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, divide it, that people of Israel may go through the sea on the dry ground. And so he stretches out, and the sea, this place of chaos, this place of threatening, this place of disorder, divides, because God even controls it, and they walk through safely in the middle of it, because God is their protector, and he is with them. And then when the Egyptians come in, what's their judgment? <laughs> chaos unraveling, death, the sea consumes them. Um, but through that, through that experience, what happens? New life, new beginnings. Israel is the people of God. New start, new exodus. God brought them through the chaos, through the unraveling to bring about new life. Like this, this God is telling you from the beginning, this is the kind of God that I am. I am more powerful than chaos, I'm more powerful than death, I'm more powerful than disorder, and I will bring life to you through those things. I will walk with you. And so then when you even get to the Psalms, right? <clears throat> look, what the, look what the Psalms say, the floods have lifted up, O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice, the floods lift up their roaring, but mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. So it's almost this picture of the sea kind of challenging God. <laughs> and that's kind of the picture you're getting, this, this place of just uh, unwieldy chaos and fear, but the Lord's the one in control. The, one, the Lord's the one mightier, mightier than, than the flood. Uh, the Lord's the one that controls the chaotic waters and brings his, his people to safety on the promised land to, an, to another paradise. So you rule the raging, raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crush Rahab like a carcass. You scatter your enemies with, a mighty, with your mighty arm. So the Psalms, right, are praying the truth of what the world feels like, of how this world feels so chaotic. And I mean, we, we use this language like, man, that, that, that really did me in, or that really unraveled me. That's the language of chaos. That's the language of the sea. That could be some, something outside of me that's coming to me, like chronic pain or, or death or, or, uh, or just things about the fall will say it unravels me. It could also be things within me, my own sin, my own things that begin to unravel. That's the language of the sea. And this is telling you that in that battle, there is one who is in control. 
And there is one who brings new life out of those places. And it's the Lord. So much so that then, right, more light is coming when you get to Isaiah 43. There's this incredible, uh, I guess, promise. Uh, He says this, uh, Thus says the Lord, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. Here you go. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. The flames shall not see you. For I'm the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It's an incredible promise. Not that, not that chaos will never touch you. Not that things that unravel you won't ever come to your doorstep. They will. But that he will be with you. And he'll walk with you through them. And they will not overwhelm you. Uh, because there is one mightier than it. Uh, so then, when you get to the New Testament... Um, Somebody else pointed this out, right? You're going to find Jesus, uh, who is the revelation of God, who is the word of God, who is God in the flesh. (laughs) He's the new creation. He's the new Adam. You're going to see him start doing the things that Adam failed to do. You're going to see him ruling and reigning even over the chaos. And so sure enough, he's going to have these interactions with, with the sea. Here you go. If your squall came up and, uh, and, the, sorry, that's, and the waves broke over the boats so that it was nearly swamped, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion, they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. When they say, who is this? Even the wind and the sea obey them. They are thinking about the Psalms, that there is one, the Almighty One who does it. They're thinking about the Exodus. Who is this that can control the sea and save his people amidst a, amidst a sea of death? That's why they start getting scared. Oh, this, this is the Almighty One that's with us. This, Jesus is the maker of the new creation. Jesus is the one that's going to penetrate the darkness and the chaos so so deeply that he's the light of the world, he's going to bring order. Um, and he, he rebukes, okay, who in Exodus 14 rebukes the Red Sea so that it becomes dry land and a safe place for his people? God did. And Jesus rebukes the sea and it goes quiet so that it's now a place of safety. It's the same person. That's why they start freaking out. Um, and then again, y'all mentioned this, Mark 6 they find themselves on the sea again. There's a, there's a huge wind. It's about the fourth watch of the night, which is about 3 a.m. And Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately spoke and said, take heart. It is I do not be afraid. He got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. He, Jesus walking on the sea is showing you he is sovereign over the chaotic sea. There's, and this is hard because there are hard things that, that come into our life. But you were saying that in Christ, nothing touches you that doesn't first come through his hands. Nothing. He, he, is, he is that powerful and he is that good. Um, and actually he's working through those things. And then uh, you get to the end, right? Revelation uh, 12, oh, I don't have time here. Just to show you, the dragon, when you see world history and what's happening, the dragon, these, these evils that are fighting against God and against his people, they're always coming from the sea, okay? That's where they're arising from because that's the picture of things that are trying to ruin God's creation. 
And then for the sake of time, when you get to Revelation 21, here's what he says. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, the first earth that passed away. The sea was no more. I was talking to my son about the yesterday, and he was like, ah, I want, the, I want there to be an ocean. That doesn't mean there's not going to be an ocean. That's saying there's no more chaos. There's no more threats to, to bring disorder. There's no more threats to, uh, of death. Nothing can unravel God's new heaven and new earth. Everything is safe and secure. There is no more, there is no more sea. Um, so when you walk with that theme from Genesis to Revelation, it pushes you to see who Jesus is. That, okay, first of all, I become more aware of all these things in my life, both inside of me, around me, that, that are chaos. It can be the result of fall. It could be chronic pain. It could be poverty. It could be natural disaster. It could be uh, my own suffering. It could be uh, enmity. Okay, that stuff's real, and I don't have to deny it. And I'm supposed to become aware of God's sovereignty over the chaos that he is actually working through it to bring about new creation, to bring about new things, to bring about good things. He delivers you through those things. He's faithful. He's a God of new beginnings, countless new beginnings, uh, because he's that good and he's that real. Um, and one day he's going to completely overcome it so that there's no threat anymore ever again. Because the problem is not, the problem's not water, the problem is chaos. Threats to unravel his creation and disorder, and one day that's going to be gone. So the Bible Project, which, uh, I'll tell you, we'll actually watch some of these videos together. Here's what it says. The final image in the Bible is an act of recreation, heaven and earth made, new and unified once more. And notice there is no sea in this new creation. The final image of Jesus bringing together all of creation in new wholeness and fulfilling God's ultimate purpose for creation and humanity. No more chaos no more nothingness. So I just, I want that to encourage you because if you ever look around and think, man, it sure seems like darkness and death and chaos is reigning. That's how, some of you have felt that very acutely in the last few months. And loneliness, depression, whatever, yes, that's real. And you have to see Jesus brings new creation, resurrection, order out of those places. That's where he works. It's all throughout the Bible. And so when I look outside and I see chaos, or when I look inside and see my own chaos that hurts other people, the answer is to bring it to Jesus. Bring it to the one who, who brings new life, who forgives and brings order. And when those things start unraveling us, like we say, unemployment or fear of unknown, bring it to Jesus and he will walk in the chaos with you. That's who he is. Um, and then you start realizing like, oh, the, the miracles aren't just cool party tricks that he does, okay? They, they are helping you see who Jesus is, that he brings about restoration. Um, so that's the hope of the Sunday school is that as we go through these themes, it's not just, you know, cool stuff that you learn, but it, it brings you to the, to the revelation of God, which is Jesus, who became like us uh, so that we could become like him because all those things ultimately are going to come to him. And he's the one who overrules and calms the chaos. Uh, any, uh, that, so that's a little snippet. Uh, Greg's going to do uh, next week, I'm out of town, on, what's your theme, Greg? Tabernacle. Ta how tabernacle you see from the beginning, God wants to dwell and walk with his people. And you'll see that uh, starts uh, dim, and then by the end is, is uh, full orb light. I don't know, any comments, questions come out of looking at the sea and the water as a place of chaos? I think for sure. I think as Peter is looking at Jesus, uh, you're seeing what faith looks like is that Jesus is primary and the chaos is, is, is still there, 
but I'm seeing that chaos through Jesus. And so I am, I am safe with Jesus. Uh, I, I am, I'm in him, I think for sure. So thank you for pointing that out. So I think the sea of glass is another one in Revelation 6, 5, maybe 6, 6. So this is before the new creation happens when you, you, he sees the throne of God and before him, the sea is like glass. So again, it's not gone yet. <laughs> I, should, I should put that in there. But what you see is that before the throne of God, everything that seems chaotic, everything that seems unknown before God, it is utterly known. It is utterly peaceful. He is in absolute control. So that, yeah, you see before the throne of God, that thing that feels chaotic and, and uh, unnerving for him, it is, it is, it is utterly uh, known. So thanks for pointing that out. Yes, that's so good, Grayson. See, that, there are all these ones I didn't think of yet. Like he talks about leading us beside still waters. This is what we prayed last week, uh, Psalm 23, because God is with me. This picture of, um, yeah, I'm, I'm leading you a place of calm. That's so good, Grayson. All right, it's 1030. Uh, I guess I'll close in prayer. Father, thank you for uh, this book. Uh, thank you uh, for Jesus. Um, help us, help us to bring uh, the chaos, um, uh, just things that unravel us to you uh, and to trust you with them uh, and to know that you walk with us and one day they're gonna be no more. Uh, what a day that'll be in Jesus' name, amen.